When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm your host, Chris Peters, and it is episode two. And we've got a great one for you today. Really excited to be joined by Corey Pronman of The Athletic, uh, one of my good friends in this business, one of the great prospects writers in hockey, covers the whole of the hockey prospect world and does it about as well as anybody could. And he's also one of the hardest working people in the industry and a guy that I think will offer a lot of insight to you on the upcoming draft. His process, which uh, is not totally dissimilar from my process in terms of the amount of video that we have to watch this year to evaluate the 2021 draft class. Talk a little bit about the World Under 18 Championship and the importance of that. And we also have a little bit of fun with uh, a game that we often play when we're on the road together and it is typically uh, called Would You Rather, and it comes in the prospect realm. And so it's, you know, basically we put two prospects up against each other and say, which player would you rather have? Uh, we have some from the current draft and some from recent drafts, just to kind of give you an idea of, of the way that uh, Corey's mind works when he is talking about these prospects, and a little bit of mine as well. But uh, I like to let the guests showcase their talents, and uh, Corey certainly did that in this one. So just quickly want to remind you, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. It's a great opportunity to learn more about hockey, and, and we've got some great guests continuing to line up for you in the coming weeks, uh, talking not just about prospects, but about all facets of the game, and uh, wanted to make sure that you got uh, some prospects coverage here with Corey and myself, because that's uh, such a huge part of what I do. But uh, that will not be the only thing covered on this podcast, so 
stay tuned and please subscribe. Also, if you like the podcast, give us a, a five-star rating and please leave a review or you know follow us on Spotify. We're pretty much available on every major podcasting platform. If we're not on one that you happen to use, please email me at hockeysensewithcp at gmail.com. That's a place where you can get me directly. Also, would love to hear uh, some questions and comments about the podcast. Leave them there as well if you ever have any of those because uh, always looking to improve what we're doing here but don't want to waste any more time because we've got a great interview with Corey. and again please go ahead and subscribe like uh, share do all that stuff Uh, it really helps the podcast grow and without further ado it's my pleasure to welcome in Corey promen to talking hockey sense We've got a good one today. Unfortunately, didn't get Phil Kessel again, but we did get something just as good, I think. You probably won't, but I think it is. And it is my good friend, Corey Priman, the prospect writer extraordinaire from The Athletic. You may have followed him back at Hockey Prospectus at ESPN, where you may have also read my stuff. Corey immediately preceded me. And uh, what you may not know about Corey is that he's one of my very good friends, even though we may not play that way on Twitter. So behind the scenes action there. But Corey, welcome to Hockey Sense, uh, Talking Hockey Sense, that is. I should probably get my own podcast, right? But uh, thanks for being here today. No, thank you for having me. It is a true honor. Yeah, well, (laughs) I'm sure it is. And uh, I just want to say off the outset, you probably noticed that my voice sounds a little bit weird, and that's because I'm fighting off a cold. Don't have COVID. That's confirmed, uh, thankfully. But uh, as, as things happen, when the seasons change, I got a bit of a cold. So Corey might be carrying this bad boy today. So we're going to see, uh, see where things go. But I uh, just wanted to kind of get right into it. And once again, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and give us a five-star review. Uh, if you so choose, please make sure that uh, you understand that Corey's opinions are his own and do not rate my podcast based on his opinions. So that's kind of where I'm at with this thing right now. So <laughs> anyway, Corey. You know, I wanted to kick things off. It's obviously a very weird year, but we did get a bit of good news, and the NHL hasn't officially said so yet. But we are fully expecting that uh, that the NHL draft will be held in July. We're expecting some some confirmation on that soon, and it it looks like all things are go. How relieved were you to see that? I know you and I have talked about this a lot, and and we were both of the mind that it should stay as is. What were your initial opinions when you heard that it was going to stay in July? Yeah, um, obviously something I've been following uh, rather closely for uh, the last few months, uh, given how integral um, the uh, the draft is to, to my everyday job. Uh, we, I, know, I think a lot of people I talked to in the business, were, were, there was never uh, a complete understanding of what was going to happen. Everybody had their own opinions. And it was like, you know, you could talk to, you know, a group of, you know, five scouts who would say this is for sure going to get delayed and talk to another group of five scouts who said no this is for sure not going to get delayed so it's a lot of uncertainty a lot of rumors there for for quite a few months at least in, in, in the circles that, uh, that that we operate in um I, you know from a selfish perspective and i also think is this best for the players and and for and for the industry is um you know we we did we did move forward here when I, I was happy to see that because you know just frankly i think the idea of Never mind a delay draft, but the idea of not having uh, two age groups together, but rather two separate drafts within a short period of time, which was one of the main ideas proposed, I thought um, was frankly just a bad idea. 
uh <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah no i just wasn't it, it, like i get the delay idea like whatever we wait for the chl seasons to get have a little, little, little bit of action maybe a world junior i i didn't love it but i got it the two drafts at once i thought was just a bad idea i think people who are proposing this it's probably one of those things that sounded good but then when you actually thought through what that actually entailed and following two age groups uh concurrently um it, it just would have been chaotic frankly and i just you know and this was being done these ideas were being proposed in the name of uh you know trying to make better decisions essentially you know these these were not done for the players interest these were done for the team's interests um in, in terms of hope making sure that they had enough information to make the correct draft picks and uh i you know i was thinking well you know if, if if we walk into next summer and have to be following two age groups at the same time, you're, you're going to be making just as many mistakes on one, if not both of the age groups. Um, just because when I've talked to like NHL scouts about this idea, you know, they kind of got a little, you know, anxiety from having to follow both of those uh, draft classes at once, you know, you know, for most NHL teams and I'm sure every NHL team actually uh, the, for their amateur sky department, that's an all day, every day operation, for, for one draft throughout the course of the year. Uh, it's not like it's, it's, you can't just, you know, you know, devote half time to an age group. Uh, so I thought it was the best move. And I understand for the West and particularly for the Ontario League, uh, there's going to be information shortages because they're not going to play. Uh, I suspect even for the Ontario kids, the top ones, they may not even get much of a season in because they probably will go to the U18 World Championships. So it's going to be tough in that regard. And you know, there's probably gonna be some mid late round kids who might not have, may have gotten drafted if they had a full season to to really display what they can do. But there will be a draft next year as well, and they will have the opportunities. Um, it's I, I thought it was best for the sport to to just try and have this get try and get somewhat back on a normal schedule, and we move in, and and trying uh, and just you know and get back to business as normal as, as close as we can anyways. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And that's, that's what was one of the things that I was wondering about is like, you know, how far does that set everything else back? You know, even if they pushed it back to next, you know, fall, not, not a great option. Um, you know, it wasn't a great option, but now I, I think this will be the best of, of all worlds. And, and one of the things that you brought up and I was going to save this to later, but I think it's worth bringing up now is, you know, we are going to have a world under 18 championship in Texas at the end of April and into May. And I think some of those CHL players are going to have a decision to make as hockey Canada puts their team together. I mean, if you were advising a player, you know, what would you, would you rather see them at the U18 world or would you rather see them play as much of whatever season, whatever amount of a season we get in the OHL? My understanding is that the top players, the guys you think of as first round picks, like, you know, like your, your Genther, Brant Clark level players, mm-hmm. Mason McTavish level players. I think those guys are all going to go. I don't think there's much of a debate for those guys. I think where the debates are going to be is for the guys down the lineup. Right. Uh, I don't, if you're an OHL or a WHL guy who's just missed your entire season, are you really going to just quarantine and go through all the process of a camp and go into the United States just to ride the bench? Um, yeah. for, for a short tournament and then you come back and your CHL season's almost it'll probably still have some part of it left but it may it may be close to over uh, mm-hmm. I think like those trying to find guys who will fit the tail end of that roster given the given what they've gone through for the last 12 months 
that's going to be a challenge. I think Hockey Canada may not have to promise, but there's going to have to at least they're not going to be able to run a U18 team like they usually do. I think they're going to have to bring guys in and, and at least give them a chance to, to play in the medal round, meaning at least they, you, you can't just have a 13th forward and he sits in the press box for the entire round, Rob, and they've, they've all got to get a chance to, to display what they can do. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think those tail end guys are going to be a little tricky and, and, and from based on what I think and from talking to people around the industry, I know that's going to be a challenge in terms of how they make that roster, but the top guys, my understanding is they're going. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're right about some of the, the different quarantine issues. I mean, teams are, you know, I think even the U S team is going to have some, some semblance of a, a pre-tournament quarantine, much like the world juniors. Yep. Um, there are going to be a couple of things that have to happen. Obviously we, you know, this, this could be a, a huge scouting event. It's, it's a big deal for general managers who, you know, want to see these guys live. And I think, you know, one of, one of the big hesitations with general managers is, you know, they're the guys that are tied to the draft. They're the guys that are tied to the picks, but really the work that's being done by the scouts, that's why the scouts were so much more comfortable than the general managers were because the GMs haven't been able to see the guys like the scouts have. So this will be their opportunity to do that. And I think it was really important for the double IHF and for USA hockey and, and obviously all the other countries to try and have this event. Um, but it was really important to the NHL to make it happen. So um, we're going to step aside from this draft because we will come back to it a little bit later, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about one of your least favorite topics and that's talking about yourself, but um, uh, it's one of my favorite topics because uh, I'm an egomaniac, but anyway, the, uh, <laughs> the, what I wanted to talk to you a bit about is, you know, you've had a really unique and, and, and interesting path to your job. You're obviously one of the best at what you do. And, you know, I, I'm not just saying that because you're my friend. I, I've always had respect for you um, and, and the process that you have, have kind of followed. But, you know, to, to be at the top of the industry in terms of, you know, prospect writing, um, it, it's been a long path for you and a winding one. And I mean, how, how did you even get interested in this in the first place? Where, where, where does, what, what, what struck your passion here? You are right that I, I don't like talking about myself. And I know <laughs> and you, you, Chris did send me a list of topics we were going to talk about. I did not read it. Um, and now just quickly going over it, I see that you stuck it in there right at the, right at the end there. <laughs> tail end, tail end, sneaky. Okay. So I was not uh, prepared. This to is talk not, this is not gotcha journalism. This is just plain old friends being friends. We're just having a conversation and other people no, no, are listening no. to it. And, and nothing, nothing wrong about it. I, you know, I think, um, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think you had these conversations. I think anyone who works in sports have had these conversations with, with high school students, with college students, uh, you know, they always, you know, will you know, send me DMs or emails or something like that, or run to in rinks when I used to go to the rinks. Um, and we'll, and we'll ask you questions like, you know, okay, how did you get your start? Um, what are some things that you would pass on to me? And I think, uh, everyone who works in sports, not just media, but hockey ops and, and any kind mm -hmm. of significant position in sports will have some variants of the answer of everybody's path is different. And there were some, there were some unique things about how this developed that you may be able to take some semblance of it to reproduce, but you probably won't be able to take everything to reproduce. You know, because for me, uh, I started off at kind of you said before a hockey prospectus, which is now defunct. Uh, but it used to be the premier, one of the premier, like you know, like nerd, nerdy, like websites that was kind oh, yeah. of really into analytics. Um, and that was my pitch. I was I joined as like an analytics writer for Hockey Prospectus, and they had a ton of guys, many of whom are now working in the National Hockey League. 
Um, and I, and they kind of said, well, we have this niche field. There's anything else you want to do? Like, yeah, like, well, baseball perspective, you have a bunch of analytic writers and you have like Kevin Goldstein, uh, who is their like kind of prospect guy. And I said, I think I can fill that role. I have a passing interest at prospects. Um, and, and that's an interest, <laughs> that, but that's what it was. It was a secondary interest for me at the time. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to work and I just wanted to work and, uh, and find, find a way to, you know, to, to get some kind of role, even if it was like a part-time job at a rat, rat, relatively small publication. And they got, they got the opportunity and what really, and I did, and I thought I did good, good work there and I, and I tried my best, but um, what really uh, helped take that next step is that uh, hockey perspectives at the time had a contract with ESPN uh, to rotate our writers to them on a freelance basis. And I did not prospect related articles. I started only analytical articles to start for them. And it eventually like about like a year or so into that process, I started doing a couple more prospect related articles. Um, uh, their main prospect writer then was Grant Sonier, mm-hmm. uh, the former GM of the Charlottetown Islanders. And now he's a pro scout in the national hockey league. Uh, after he left ESPN um, uh, to go to the queue, uh, that, that was around when I interviewed for that job uh, through the relationship I had developed with ESPN through my hockey prospectus uh, freelance articles. And it was through that process that I, that I got my job at ESPN uh, to be their main NHL draft writer uh, and did that for quite a few years. And then when uh, Craig Custance uh, fled ESPN to go to the athletic, uh, he, he dragged me with him. Uh, and obviously I'm skimming over quite a few details of all the work you do over a very long period of time uh, the skills you build the relationships you build uh, the mistakes you make Um, there's a lot of stories that that go into those years of you know those formative years of of trying to build a career out of a hobby essentially Uh, and, and it wasn't easy but but those are you know, things that happen, you know, and I think during those early, early years, I still think so, but like in those early years, you worked extremely hard. You made a lot of sacrifices, a lot of lost nights, a lot of, a lot of lost weekends uh, that could have been spent with your college friends uh, to, <laughs> to try and develop, you know, your passion into a career. Um, and like I said, there's some parts of that story that somebody could listen to and be like, okay, I, you know, yes, you need to, you know, you got to be, you got to be creative. I thought I chose prospects because I thought it was a niche. I thought it was, you know, I didn't choose it because I thought, oh, I love prospect. I, I, I looked at it and as a baseball fan, I saw, okay, this is an area of hockey that at the time, now it's more so, but at the time, which yeah. was over 10 years ago, this wasn't really a well-covered area. There was not a, a right, there were not writers out there who covered all prospects from the drafted to the draft eligible ones. Right. Um, and I thought that was a niche that I could fill. And I thought I, I've done so somewhat effectively. Everyone's opinions will just, will, will vary. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, and, and that was, you know, so I think someone could be listening to that and be like, yeah, okay, you got to find something that not everyone else isn't doing. You need to work hard. You need to develop relationships. You need to, uh, you know, be humble. You gotta, you know, you gotta grind all that kind of stuff I think are translatable to other people, but uh, uh, the exact story isn't always, exactly repeatable because there's a lot like i think anybody who finds a way to work in sports there's a lot of lucky breaks and and uh um 
circumstances that 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 lead you to that path. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's been interesting. I've I've had a bit of a a front row seat to your rise because we've been friends for about I don't know more than ten years, I'd say, um, since we kind of started talking about this, and and it's it's kind of been amazing to see. And we both took winding paths to where we got to. Obviously, I I don't even know do I does where I'm at right now qualify as anything? (laughs) I don't. It does, but like the set of circumstances apply to you too. Like yeah. You know, if you don't get the, if you don't get the fishman job, does it right. change, does it change your life? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, so Corey is noting there that I, I had the Brian Fishman internship at USA hockey, which was a, a really lucky break um, to start my career. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. That whole thing changed, uh, changed my life being at USA hockey and then getting to see the inner workings of an organization and also getting to, to, to finally, you know, from moving to that job to the national team development program, that's where my interest in prospects came from is I'm watching these kids come into our program and just completely, you know, transform before my eyes from U 17 to U 18 and then moving on. So, yeah, so you're exactly right. And, and, and that just is all and, and, that, and that is the main reason why you will never tolerate any Seth Jones slander online. That is correct. Yeah, <laughs> that is, that is correct. I, I, I don't, I, I will not stand for it. And, uh, yeah, getting to see him and Jacob Truba in the same tryout camp my my last year at the NTDP, I was like, oh, this is what elite defense prospects look like. Yeah, I was, and I also had Cam Fowler, you know, who was really good in the two years that I or in the first year I was there. So it's pretty cool to get a front row seat to that. Um, but anyway, moving on, uh, I see how you quickly switch that to me. Um, but anyway. Um, you know, we've been friends for a long time. And one of the things I think has changed over the years and, and what, what I think is unique to you now is, you know, when you first started out, you, you had to be reliant more on video scouting and, and getting, you know, video because you couldn't get to as many games. We didn't, you you know, neither of us had the budget to travel to a lot of actual live games or, and, you know, we both lived in, you know, we lived all over the different, different areas where sometimes it wasn't as easily accessible to us. So I wonder now, since, since you were at, you know, ESPN and then obviously at the athletic, even more so you've had that opportunity to get so many live viewings. How has your process changed from, you know, and now we have to, we, we have to by nature rely more on video for this draft class how do you think that's changed in your process from when you first started watching video to how you watch video now? Um, yeah, kind of what you started at, you know, when I was beginning at ESPN, obviously hockey perspectives too, but I, you know, whatever my, my first couple of years when I was doing this, you was, you were really relying on video um, just due to the fact that that travel is, is a rather ex- expensive thing to do for, for hockey. Um, you know, I think I, uh, especially if you want to do it on a somewhat frequent basis, uh, those numbers add up really quickly. And it's why I, you know, when I see people who are starting up um, and trying, you know, trying to make something out of their passion, um, I never fault them for not getting to enough games. You know, there are, there are certain things that you, that you just can't, you, you try your best with what you have. A lot of people will try and do this while they have another job or they have a family or they're in college, it's, it's, it's not easy. So like I, said, I respect people trying to do the most what they can with their passion. Um, because, and, you know, like I said, I think, you know, I heard those criticisms when I was coming up, that I didn't go from enough games, um, which, and, and now, you know, in this pandemic era, you know, not, nobody's going to games. I mean, people are, but like in certain regions, 
but a lot of people are. Some teams are not even letting their scouts go to games, even if their regions are playing. Right. Um, so yeah, it's been a balance. When I when in those first few years at the athletic, you know, I, I come in there, they kind of you know told me like, listen, like we, we trust you to, we want you to get to all the games you think you need to get. Um, they didn't give me an unlimited budget, but they didn't say no to a lot of things I proposed. Um, and I, I did a lot of traveling, like a lot, those first couple of years at the athletic. And I think when, you know, if we ever kind of, you know, rewind here a little bit and go and get back to such a somewhat normal process, I still think I will travel quite a bit. Um, but what I learned from pretty much being on the road every week in those first couple of years is there needs to be, you need to be a little bit more efficient, particularly if you're trying to cover the broad scope like I was. Um, I learned that your trips need to have impact, that there needs to be, uh, you know, if you're going to, because, you know, travel is a expensive and a time-consuming process. Yeah. Just, you know, if you add up all the hours it takes to get from one place to the next rink, essentially. Uh, it can take up a, quite a lot of time uh, between, you know, the, the driving, the flights, the, the hotel process, et cetera. And I think you need to have, make sure when I plan out trips now, you know, in the, you know, this process was starting to change for me right before the pandemic started. Even, you know, during the pandemic when I've tried to travel and looking forward to what a post, you know, vaccine, vaccine rule look like we've started to discuss what some travel ideas can be. Um, and we, we talk about, um, you know, making sure the trips have a lot of value. Uh, I'm not just traveling hours to go watch some one or two B rated prospects. That is not a smart use of time and money. Right. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you will see these players at some sort of major showcase or international event if you need to really check off their box and you can do video and I can talk to, to people around the industry that I know, and I can get the information that I need to properly relate to our readers, who these players are. Uh, so that is something that I've, you know, I, I was, there was a kind of two strings of the scale. There was like the kind of the beginning where I wasn't doing almost any live scouting, at least particularly at the amateur level, I was doing more like pro scouting. I was near like a lot of American league cities. Um, and, then there was the other end of the spectrum where uh, I was probably doing too much live scouting. And I know that's probably something like, like there's probably some old school people whose like eyes are twitching when I, when they hear me say that, but <laughs> I, but I, I think there was a point where I was talking to both my editor and people I talked to trust in the business. And I think we kind of concluded that I, I was probably traveling too, too much and, and not spending enough time writing, not spending enough time doing, you know, the proper video work. Um, not spending enough time having some sort of life. <laughs> so uh, there was, Ooh, us? <laughs> and, and so I think there is a, like a balance between that where yeah. you prioritize certain things, events, showcases, tournaments. Um, if you're going to make some, some one-off trips, it has to be for some value either. You're going to see a couple of high-end prospects at the same time or in the same weekend or something along those lines. I think that is how my process has evolved and will continue to be uh, once uh, we can get back to a semi-normal-ish travel routine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of amazing, you know, because I started mostly with video too. I had the benefit of, you know, working at the NTDP for a couple of years where I got to see a lot of games in person. But, 
you know, that gives you a good base of knowledge on players and everything. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, it is an expensive process. I mean, that's why most prospect work is behind a paywall because in order to do it to the best of our ability, we have to be at things, but obviously can't get to everything. So luckily there have been a lot of, a lot of advancements in the way that video is provided and the way that you can watch video for prospects. So it, it has really changed and, and improved in the years that we've been doing this. So that's really helpful. Uh, quick shout out to Instat for the partnership with, with hockey sense. And I know that, you know, that that's, that's the stuff like that um, oh, yeah. is, is oh, what yeah. teams are using. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, like I said, I think we kind of talked about like through those beginning years. Um, well, I did so much stupid crap back then of <laughs> the incredible lengths you had to go to find video on certain players because yes, nowadays, you know, all leagues have improved their video offering substantially in terms of the quality, in terms of the be able to find it on archive um, yep. and just being able to navigate it much easier. Almost every, you know, region, you know, has some sort of YouTube channel or some way you could find the video for a reasonable price or, you know, at reasonable quality, which is a lot different than like, I remember when was, when was, I remember, I'll never forget this guy. Remember, do you remember what year what Pontus Aberg was drafted? Oh, shoot. I can't remember that. I can't remember the it, year, but it was a while. It was like, in the it was a while. Of, it was like 10 years ago or something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was yeah. like right when we were starting out. Yeah. It was like 2012, 2012. He was second round pick yeah. by Nashville. I thought he could be a first round pick and he did, he was, a, he was a late birthday. So he didn't go to any of the U, U18 tournaments. Yeah. Um, didn't go to the world juniors that year. So I'm like, I got I gotta see this player this year. He was playing like Ausfenskin. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, I, I just remember like seeing like a, a Swedish website back then. This again, this is like 10 years ago, but it's much different than how it is right now, where you can just find Ausfenskin videos anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember like saying, Oh, that there's gonna be a, a free broadcast of this Ausfenskin game at like noon Swedish time, which you might recall is like 3, 4 a.m. our time. Yeah. So I woke up like at 3 a.m. to like watch a Pontus Aberg, like Ausfenskin game. Um, my process is a little smarter and a little more efficient nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yes, that is, you know, tech, the advances in technology has made my life a little bit more sane. Although I can't say I don't do insane things from time, time to time again. Um, I still probably do some weird things that might be described as weird. Um, in terms of the routine I go through to what to uh, turns out how much in terms of watching players and stuff like that. But uh, yes, the, the advancements in technology has helped make our jobs a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. But yeah, I, I just remember a lot of days of, of waking up early and I'll still do that for like world juniors when I'm not at them um, and oh, things like well, that. I but mean, yeah, the, the, I mean, the UFA tournament was, was a, and, and that's coming <laughs> around the corner. If you don't, if we, it depends if we go to Russia or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, Nova Sibirsk, right? So, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's going to be the same deal. I think they're they're a little bit closer to the Eastern Time Zone because they're they're like Central Russia. Ufa was, I think, further is was further east than, than Nova Sibirsk, but uh, it's it's going to be roughly the same process there. Yeah, it's going to be wild. So, all right, so we've talked a little bit about process. We've talked a little bit about you know the, our careers and everything, but I, I, let's start talking about players. And and one of the things that I wanted to bring our listeners is. You know, Corey and I talk about players a lot. We don't, we've never worked for the same company at the same time. I followed Corey at various places like ESPN. Um, but you know, we 
throughout our careers have these conversations about players. And I thought that it'd be kind of a fun idea. You know, we, we'll often do it this way. We'll set it up this way. Would you rather have this player? Or would you rather have this player if given the choice between the two? And I thought that would be a fun way to kind of look at things. And, and I actually want to, this is a way for you to promote your work at the athletic. Cause I'll figure I'll start the first one with something, uh, what you just wrote about. Um, and I, and we don't have to get into all the details because hopefully people will subscribe to the athletic and read your work. And, and while you're at it, subscribe to hockey talk, hockey sense with Chris Peters on, on Substack, um, because we'll have similar discussions, but anyway, starting it off, you know, we're looking at this draft class. We're looking at this rookie class and, and we're, we're recording this the day after Tim, Tim Stutzla had another highlight real play. But if you had to make the decision, the draft day decision, again, Alexi Lafreniere or Tim Stutzla, you just wrote about, you know, now there's an argument. So where, where's that argument at for you right now? I would still lean Lafreniere, but I think when we were going into the draft in October, it was kind of mostly consensus among, I think, both pundits and NHL scouts I talked yeah. to mm -hmm. that Lafreniere was the top prospect. And the debate was at two. Should it be Quinton Byfield, who did go two, or Tim Stutzla, who went third to Ottawa? Um, and I think now, given how the last five, six months have progressed for all three of those players, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla, um, I think there's now a debate on whether it's Lafreniere or Stutzla at the first pick. I would still lean Lafreniere, like I said. I still think it's way too much skill um, to go with, you know, I think also a really high compete level. Yeah. And I think he has just such a rich track record at the junior level. You're not just not good. You're talking like truly, truly exceptional track record at the junior level that I think you have to consider all that evidence and think, it may not happen for him this season. I mean, the season's almost half over. Rangers probably not going to make a playoff run. Um, right. It may, it may not happen for him this season that he is the guy we thought. But you know, I think the evidence still suggests that it could happen next season, or the or the one after. You know, it's never it's never certain. But I think there's just just way too much talent there to to say that 20 games in that he's not the first pick uh, yeah. again. Um, but I would say it's a lot closer, a lot closer than I thought it would be six months ago. And that Stutzla at the very least is making a reasonable case to where if a Chris Peters decided to say he is the best player, I wouldn't say that's crazy or it's unreasonable. Right. I say, yeah, no, I see it. Like the guy's a dynamic skater, great skill producing might even, he could play center possibly. Um, you know, those are, it's a perfectly reasonable argument, but I think until we get more data, I think you got to say it's left for year. Yeah. And I, I still agree with that too. And I, the interesting thing about Stutzla's season, and I know we, we, I talked about this with you before, and I don't think that it's, I, I don't want to say it's a big, big deal, but I do think there was some value gained by Tim Stutzla in playing before the NHL season at the world juniors. I coming in hot, if you will. Um, like yeah. Five games though. Right. True. True. But it was high competitive, you know, important games where, you know, Germany actually was able to, I mean, I still wonder what would have happened uh, if they uh, had, uh, although he played so many guys. minutes in those games, it was more like 10 games. Right, exactly. I mean, he played half the game basically. And, <laughs> and, you know, I'd never, I would never fault the Rangers for not letting Alexi Lafreniere go. I mean, he had nothing left to prove at that level, but at the same time he hadn't played hockey in 10 months. So, I mean, that's the one thing where I'm like, wonder just if, just to get him warmed up for the season, you know, 
it's 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 nitpicking i know but it's i was gonna say how much longer do they gotta play before that's no longer like a reason well yeah how how much runway did he need exactly yeah no that's 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 fair so anyway all right so we're gonna move on to the next one this one is way more fun in my mind because it's it's one of the ones that i think we debated all the way back then and you know i i think the debate has has changed significantly in their nhl days are you ready for this one Oh boy, which one? Brady Kachuk or yes, Barry Cut Kenny Emmy. Oh, uh, it's Brady. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, no, I mean, I mean, Cut Kenny Emmy is a great player, but I yeah, mean, I mean, Kachuk's one of the best young players in the league right now. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and and he, he's not like putting up like giant scoring numbers. Like, I'm, I'll, right. I'll, I'll check that right now. I was curious. I don't think like he's been like lighting, lighting out. He's been, he gets a lot of opportunities. His finishing has not been exceptional in the league so far, but he's got like 20, he's got 21 points, 31 games this year. It's, you know, really strong. Yeah, on a, strong on a bad team. And I, I also think like it, it, it was interesting. And, and I think, you know, you've, you've addressed this before, but I think Brady Kachuk is one of those very interesting cases of pre-draft year production versus pre-draft year eligible or pre-draft year ability. I, you know, I thought that the numbers didn't necessarily express how good he was at Boston university. I mean, and now, now with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, you know, it was the know, same. Th- it was the same deal at BU. Like he had a lot right. of shots, a lot of opportunities. He wasn't getting a lot of finish, and that might be part of what he, he is. Like he might just be like this elite worker with with skill who may not be a, a true top 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 scorer even at his peak, but he's just a guy that coaches just play the crap out of and um, tends to do a lot of good things when he's on the ice. You know, obviously, you know he's you know a really interesting player in that regard. Yeah, he he is, and and. It's been it's been remarkable to watch, and I, I still think that the, the physical elements of his game are are an important element of his overall um, package, and and continue to be today, and and a reason why I think he's probably going to end up you know contending and and probably being on the the Olympic team. That's what I was actually going to say. He's got to go to the World Championships this spring, right? A hundred percent. I mean, like I, I think that yeah, as long as he's ready to go and, and willing to go, then because I'm gonna yeah. say like you know he obviously you know how seeing how he would perform that little would be really really interesting and I think he's probably in the Olympic mix regardless, but he's probably not a luck and how he would do with something like that would probably move the needle to like move move him in solidly into, into an Olympic spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that would help, and certainly that you know, this year's world championship, you know, I know people don't love the world championship. They don't, you know, it's not something that's super popular in the United States, but particularly this year is important for those young guys that are out of the playoffs to go, you know, Chris Drury is the GM of that team. I'm sure he'll be in the Olympic decision process as well. Quinn Um, Hughes Hughes has to go too, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, and he's been there and he's been excellent at the world championships. He was excellent even in his draft season. So, I mean, he's, he's a pretty Wait, incredible would you, player. Would you say he was excellent. Or he was just like good for his age. Ooh, I think his first year, he was good for his age. The second year he was one of their best defensemen. I felt. Yeah. So yeah, but, but the, he's, he's an interesting one. All right. Um, no, I, I'm just trying to think of some young Americans who have to go to that thing. So like the, those two obviously stand out because they're two of the top, you know, young players in the league. I'm trying to think of who else would be some young Americans who, are probably in that mix. Um, anybody come to mind on top of your head? 
you know, it's tough to say. I, I mean, I think most of the, you know, a lot of the guys are pretty obvious, you know, if say Spencer Knight goes, you know, like, Oh I, yeah. That, 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 is, that would be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, Cause they need a number three goalie. Jack, you know, Jack Hughes. I think, yeah, of course. I think Jack has to go to that and has to perform it, well. I, I don't think Zegers would be in the mix. Like he's just not, he's not there yet. I don't, not in the Olympic mix, but I think that there's a strong likelihood that he would, unless the, the AHL, yeah. if they want him in the AHL, he, he would be there um, yeah. and, and, and be a key player for them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. He's probably not in the Olympic mix. I don't think, right. I don't think uh, Walsh would be available because it looks like they're going to go into the playoffs, but um, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, because as we record, they're kind of on the bubble right now. Is Joel Farabee in the Olympic mix? The way he's played this season and the the track record he has with USA Hockey, it'd be interesting. I think he's 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 major bubble. I mean, major bubble, but still, is he though? He's really he's been really good. He's this been season. awesome. He's been awesome. It's just it's you look like, down uh, the wings and you you just wonder. You know, when you say you've got, would you take? I mean, you take Brady Kachuk over him, wouldn't you? You, I think so, but you, I think you got to at least discuss it and be like, you know, I, I think I would lean to Brady, but as a Farabee's been really good this year, you know, you, you can, you can, you can dance on this one. Uh, is, does, is Keandre Miller in the mix? Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I, I don't, I personally don't think so, but I mean, the way that he's played this year, it's pretty exceptional. Like they, they have got a lot of interesting decisions on defense. I mean, they have a lot more veterans in that mix. Um, yeah. But, you know, like you say, okay, well, you're, I think you're moving on from Ryan Suter. I think, you know, it'd be interesting to say, are you going to have Ryan Suter or Ryan McDonough on the team? You know, like those are the types of decisions you have to, Did you, to come to. Remember when uh, Custance put Suter on his USA Olympic team, Dom, I think, Dom Lushishin, and I think Rohan, like, <laughs> the year is like 2036. Craig Custance still has Ryan Suter on his USA Olympic team. I mean, I think if Craig is picking the way that that decision process often goes, you know, <laughs> that he's probably not all that wrong. But this is is, uh, is, is Josh Norris in the mix for you? Uh, no, I think they actually have. I, I think you know their their depth centers are probably going to be more veteran players because you you know you figure yeah. you got you got. Um, Matthews and Eichel, and then you know Larkin yeah. is in there. Yeah, it's just going to be tough yeah. to make that yeah. center. The last two I think of are Keller and McAvoy. McAvoy is a lock for me. I mean, yeah. I think, yeah, I don't, I, I don't I think about, I knew about McAvoy, but Keller's played really well this year. I agree. And I think, I think he's another guy that you have to consider, you know, you know, when you're looking at, would you take, you probably would take Johnny Gaudreau over Keller though, wouldn't you? You probably would. Although yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't watched a ton of Calgary this year, just so they don't really have a lot of young players on that team. But, yeah, uh, he's been up and down, but he's yeah. yeah but that's uh, that's good. But this actually leads me into one of uh, another. Would you rather? Because this is one of the ones that we were both in agreement on in their draft year, but I think it's changed. And and they were on the same team. They often played on the same line. Joel Farabee and Oliver Wallstrom, long term. If we're talking here. Oh, uh, Farabee. Yeah. No, just, and, I mean, and yeah, nothing, I mean, nothing, nothing against Ollie, but it's Farabee. I mean, I think for the last two years, it's. I think it's been some separation, to be quite honest. I think. For sure there has been. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's been – Waltram's development has been a real interesting uh, kind of case study. It, like, you know, and actually a lot of the NTDP goal scores, you look at Wallstrom, you look at Bellows, um, guys that have put up a lot of goals in that program. I've been rather stubborn on those two, too. I, I didn't yeah. – I never – 
I, I the lower word bellows a little bit, just I think he had to after how he was doing in the American League, but I never said he wasn't an NHL player. And I've, oh, and I've been very stubborn in saying Washington's a top six forward. And I kind of took the pedal off like the top 10 pick level guy, although he's kind of shown flashes of that, of that lately. But yeah. uh, I've been stubborn in believing that both of those guys would eventually make it. And we'll see if they've actually made it. Like Bellows is on a nice little run here. We'll, yeah. we'll see if he maintains that or not. But Wallersham looks like a really good player. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I mean, we both had, if I recall in the draft, we both had Wallstrom ahead of Farabee on our. I had, on our... I, I, I had him well ahead of Farabee. I yeah. Thought Wallstrom, I... I thought Wallstrom was a big time player and I was off on Farabee. Um, but uh, obviously now that things have reversed in a pretty significant manner since their, since their NTDP days, um, you know, Fairview was in the league in 19. And yeah. He's all the part of, you know, he's the, he's the best, their best young player on that team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, would was... incl- I, I would include Hart in that mix um, in that saying that, and Patrick and saying that like Fairview is their best young player. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. This year for sure. I mean, this year, no doubt. And, and really, you know, Joel is another one of those guys where, the numbers don't always tell the tale of, of all the things he did. We, you know, and, and he's scoring he, quite a lot, he's, but yeah, that's the thing he's scoring now in his draft year, you know, Wallstrom certainly outscored him and, and Farabee was such he was, a, he was, such a, a he, he was like a secondary player for, for a lot of how they ran that team with, with Jack Hughes and Cam York and, uh, you know who yeah who, he was uh, he was secondary but he was so integral to everything they were able to accomplish right, I, mean, I didn't i didn't know, mean yeah, he wouldn't play yeah. well but i just meant right. like you know you would watch like their power play for example and he was not the guy touching the puck all the time it right. was it was walsh german jack who were the guys who did a lot of the the main the main things in terms of how that power play worked yeah um you know he wasn't like the top line guy consistently in terms of how they stacked their lines up um, you know, and, and those are the things of the NTDP. Those that it can make it can be challenging when it's a good group. I mean, usually they are they're good teams. You know, you could think of a guys like a Dylan Larkin, for example, who had to play on the 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 Eichel Milano Tuck line team. Who yeah. didn't get the right opportunities. Right. Um, you know, you you could think of other guys throughout the years. Um, you, you mentioned that 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 Truba, um, Seth Jones group. There were other quite a few other defensemen on the team who ended up becoming good NHL players who didn't get prime minutes on that right. team. Right. Uh, that was Jake McCabe here, I believe. That was Matt, was that Matt Grizzly's uh, years too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Grizzly, oh, McCabe was a uh, 93, but yeah, but he was in their same draft. He was in the draft year with Truba and, um, and yeah, but uh, also Grizzly, you know, Will Butcher was the underager on that team. Connor yep. Carrick was on that team. Um, you know, so yeah, they had, they, I think every NH, I think every defenseman on that team, has played NHL games so far. So yeah. Um, that could be difficult yeah. with the NTDP at times when they have yeah. like those, those really deep teams, Yeah, you know, a guy like, like Zegers, frankly, in his draft year, even though he was really rather high pick, he was not the top line center on that team. And, right. you know, he had, you know, that was Jack's team deservedly. So, um, and you know, that's, and, and, you know, it, it can be a, a challenge when watching that team at times, and it's not a unique challenge. And there's, there's deep junior teams all the time. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. There's, you could watch the London Knights in a given year and they'll have some really high end prospect who's like getting like 12 minutes a game or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah. You always have to take that context into account and it, and it can be hard to adjust for. It just can be in the way that the draft seasons go. All right. I've got two more for you. And one of them 
is a little tougher um, because it, it involves the last two number one picks. And I'd say Jack Hughes or Alexi Lafreniere. Yeah, that is a tough one. Um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, now, now let's, if you would have asked, if I would have asked you this question at the end of last season, what would you have said? I would have said Lafreniere. Yeah. And I think it's now it's Hughes. Yeah. I, that's the, see, I feel I was very on the fence of, of Hughes over Lafreniere. I think, you know, there's just a more dynamic element to Jack. Yeah, with the, the skating, we, the, the skating, skating exactly. The skating is a huge deal, and I think that that's one thing. The pro game exposes skating more than the junior level ever can, not, and not just the pro level, the NHL level, the NHL sure. level, of course. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, I was I, I'm thinking about guys like that. I saw that I, you know, they weren't amazing skaters, but I thought they were good enough. And then you say, oh well, you know, it, it's just you know, Lafreniere was on every puck in junior, and even at the world junior level, which has great and, pace. And, so, and I still think he's like he's going to be an exceptional player. I agree. He's, I agree. he's not a great skater. There's a lot of players in the league who are great players who are not uh, great skaters. I said that in the article that I did about Lafreniere last week. That you know, on that same team, the Rangers team, many of their best players are not great skaters. You know, right. even like even like an MVP candidate like Panera, and I think he's a good. But like, the, you don't you don't watch Panera and think like, oh, he's like an elite speedster. That's not what he is. You know, right. Navish, Strom, Fox, uh, none of those guys are great skaters. Right. Um, so I think it's going to come, but yeah, I think because of that aspect and because particularly, I think, you know, if you had asked me, if you do, if I hadn't seen that Jack Hughes had at least taken a step this year, he hasn't taken a massive step, but he's taken a step. Um, if you had just said, if you had changed that question slightly, it would have been like, take Lafreniere now or Jack Hughes at the end of last season. I think I might have leaned towards Lafreniere, but now that I've seen that Jack can at least take that step a little bit, he, he may not be like the stud yet, but he's progressing in a positive direction. He's a little bit more consistent in terms of how dangerous he's using his skate and his skill to create offense at the NHL level. And because he's also a center, um, I think that would have me lean that way, but it is rather close. I think they're both tremendous young players i think they're both guys who are going to have very long successful careers and neither of them are guys i think you can be overly confident in saying that these are going to become like among the best very very best players in the league like i thought you could have when they were coming out out of the, uh their respective drafts um goes to the uncertainty of predicting young players and that's kind of where i would stand on both of them yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a good debate i think I, i'm really intrigued to see where it goes i, I think they'll be fun to follow and I, I love that they're you know part of the same rivalry you, you could throw the other first overall pick into that one too it's all it's a bit of a the last Absolutely. three are a, of, are a bit of a quagmire right now yeah i mean you know uh, that's the thing like you know we, rasmus dalin we, we've gone five years now since the number one's kind of stepped in and been like not just you know been like really really good and maintained that um you know that referencing Matthews in that regard. Um, not that Nico Heischer isn't a great player, but there's just, you know, Heischer, yeah. maybe we've had Heischer, Darlene, um, you know, Hughes, Lafreniere, yeah. all are great players, all I would love to have on my team. Um, but you can't like list the top 10 players in the league in a position or top 15 even and say they're in, they're in that, they're in that mix. Yeah, that's very fair. I mean, that, and that has been interesting to watch. I mean, really McDavid and Matthews kind of spoil, you know, the, the whole, you know, notion of what, what a, what a rookie can do. 
Um, but even Ekblad stepped into the, into the league right away. He was really good. Nugent Hopkins true, scored true. at a fairly solid rate. Even the one of the great busts, Neil Yakupov, scored twenty goals yeah, his, in, as, as a rookie. Yeah, in a sh- yeah, in a short season. Yeah, he's yeah. It's 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 just weird how how things work, and and this is the way that the game ebbs and flows. And even though the NHL is getting younger, there it is a very difficult league for a teenager to play in. No question about it. So, all right, the last one that I have for you is more modern, and it's now about this draft and. You know, you've you've put out um, more recent draft rankings, and you have been working on. You know, it's a, it's always a work in progress, but you know, I think I look at this draft, and and to me, there's there's a there's a debate for number one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow it down to the guys that I think are the top two defensemen in this draft, and I'll I'll present it to you, Owen Power or Luke Hughes. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody about that who was a scout earlier today, actually who said that if uh, who was very strongly in the power camp um, mm-hmm. and there's people, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, debates that are going to be had among various players. I think it's close enough where you can talk to five different scouts and get five different opinions on who the first overall could be, not just five different opinions, but five different players um, on who they think they should, this, the top candidate would be, you know, I think I look at those three, those two, uh, the main differences to me is that while Owen Powell is an exceptional skater for a big man, I think Luke is just a much better skater overall. And it's not a knock on power that I think he's an exceptional skater for however large he is. I've seen various measurements between six, five and six, six. Um, but like Luke is probably like when, you know, he's probably one of the best skaters in the world. Like he's just like, it's, it's like mine for a guy who's that, that size, the way he can move is like just like truly, truly exceptional. And I also think, like, turns out like his one-on-one overall puck skills, uh, I think he also has an edge there. Uh, where I would say power is has his edge is smart. He's a smarter player, uh, more poised player with the puck. Uh, obviously, there is a significant size difference. While Luke did get the genetical benefits compared to his brothers in terms of his size, uh, uh, you know, power's got about three to four, you know, inches on him, and just because of that, I think. You see that he's a he's a more I think Luke defends fine, but I don't think he's a great defender. I think Luke think power projects as like a tough minute, like top pair defenseman. I think Luke could be like a you know could play hard minutes, but I don't think you're drafting him thinking like this is gonna be a, like the best defender on your team. I think you're hoping he's at least a solid defender who generates a lot of offense and is an elite transition player. Uh, I think where power is just really solid, smart, does everything really well never leave a game saying, wow, he was the best player, but you never leave saying, wow, he really hurt us today. Right. Um, and I think that's how he's going to play in the national hockey league too. So I, I lean to Luke. I think there's a little bit of just more dynamic qualities there. I think you look, look at the offense he generates at the USHL uh, level, and it's pretty significant for a guy with that kind of skating and size. Um, you know, he, I think he's really intriguing in that regard and obviously powers in college, but there's about a full year age difference between the two of them. Um, you know, as I think they're both, they're both, they're both great players. I'd like to have either of them. I think it's actually rather close between the two of them. Um, I think that the top four players for me in the draft, as it stands right now, things could change in the coming months, but between those two and veneers and, and Dylan Ginther, I think all four of those guys are really close to each other. Yeah. Um, but I would lean to Luke because I think he has more dynamic qualities. Yeah, that's, it's, it's been a debate for me for a while. I even have, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I feel like Beneers is, is in there and I, you know, some of the descriptions that you kind of mentioned about those and, and just, he was, I, he was great yesterday. I thought, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the, 
the Michigan, the Michigan freshman that we talked about, and I, I'm a bad host because I, I just assume that you know that Owen Power is the freshman defenseman for the University of Michigan. Luke Hughes is the third of the of the Hughes brothers of Quinn, Jack, and now Luke um, playing at the National Team Development Program. He is a Michigan commit, so good job, Mel Pearson over there. Um, but you know, they're two very interesting and unique defenders. But going back to your your description. You know, especially about Luke, when you say, you know, I think there was at least a little bit of doubt in terms of, you know, can he be a number one? And if he isn't a number one, can you take him number one? But number one, what do you mean? Like a first overall pick? Or a like number a one defenseman? defenseman in the NHL. Yeah, and I'm not sure. There, I'm not sure. he. I wouldn't say I'm – I probably wouldn't have him as that. I wouldn't have power as that either, to be quite honest. Like, I think they're mm-hmm. both – if they are, they're on the fringe. Like, when I think of number one defenseman, I think of, like, Kale McCarr. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of that, that kind of, that kind of player, uh, I think of Seth Jones, like, I don't, uh, and I don't know of either. Like, I think, I think Luke is the one with the most ability, closest to be able to reach that. And it's why I would lean towards him. Um, but I can't say like I having this guy as like, a you know, a guy that would take over Tim Stutzla or let's yeah. say Lafreniere. Right. I can't say like he reaches that level for me just quite yet. You know, we just have so a few months left in the year. We will see how his U18 World Championship goes. And that right. will be that will be the probably the last major test he will have to show what he can do um, for his draft stock. Although, given the uniqueness of this year's draft, we will see how uh, this uh, when how the summer under 20 camps play into the into into the draft process. My understanding is there might be a few complications in that regard, but uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think, I think he is a guy, I don't, I don't see power as a one. I just don't think there's enough offense there, but, mm-hmm. but I think he's a really, I think he'll be a really solid top pair defenseman for a long time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and top pair, like number one, like these are all like labels we use and like, you can like, depends what you mean by this, like top. Right, pair. right, right, right. Is that a one or a two? Like, but I think number one, I just think a guy who's like among like the, the, the top, like what are 15, 20. So I know number one should be in a top 31, but you know, guys who are like legitimately top tier, you know, cream of the crop kind of defenseman. That's kind of what I presume you mean when you say number number one. Right. Um, and yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would predict either of those two to reach that, but I would be more confident Luke would. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, are there really 31 number one defensemen in the NHL? No. Right now? And yeah. if you, if you use that and like that applies to other sports too, like you'll like, right. ask, you'll ask like, I'll talk to like baseball scouts and they'll be like, you know, how many number one starting pitchers are there? They're like, Oh, there's like 15 or 20 of them. Like, well, that doesn't add up with the math. Um, yeah. you know, is that, uh, that's not how that works. You know, is there, you know, are there 93 legitimate top line forwards in the NHL? You know, maybe, maybe not. Are there legitimately 30 number one starting goalies in the NHL? Are there 31 mm. first line centers in the NHL? Right. Yeah. You know, no. You can, you can play that game. At the end of the day, you just want whatever label you use. You, you have to just assess the talent level and say, you know, I think this guy has this caliber talent level. It's why I, you may notice from my process that has evolved over time. If you ever read my articles that I tried my best to create some sort of standardized evaluation process where you're slotting guys into tiers um, that couldn't be considered equivalent over years so that people have an understanding of exactly how talented you think a player is, what exactly they project out as, and, and how valuable they are. I think that's important because, especially in an expansion era where the definition of what a top six, top four defenseman will change as two new teams come into the league and 60 
or whatever jobs are added added to NHL teams, uh, those definitions change. So you just kind of want to watch the players and test the player and and properly communicate how good you think a player is. Yeah, no, I think that's really that's a really good point and and very very well said. And yeah, I mean, you know, I think this is pretty much going to do it for us because I've had about enough of your nonsense. Um, no, but this is actually really really great stuff. And this is kind of the, what I was hoping we could do is have some of these conversations. And, and before I let you go, I'm going to go with one more question. And, you know, I think for you, uh, you know, over the course of, of your career, you've always been very open about the rankings that you would have liked to do over. And I wonder if there's ever been one that has haunted you the most. I had Bob McKenzie do this too. So if Bob can do it, you can do it as, has there ever he, been does, a call? Doesn't he get to like kind of hide behind the fact that it's not his ranking though? Like, well, yeah, yeah, but he also takes great pride in knowing who people are. And there were a couple of times where where teams picked players that he had never heard of before. Right, so, right. Uh, but but you know, I think just when you think about and and maybe I should phrase this frame this a little differently because you and I we like to learn from our mistakes. We like to to analyze it. What is the the player evaluation from your past that you felt like you learned the most from? Um, uh, I get asked this question a lot, um, and I'm not sure there's ever a good answer to it. And it's not the answer people want to hear because it's just, you, you don't learn from, from one data point. Um, you know, my job as it's been defined, never really defined, but as I've kind of gone about it for the last 10 years has been to cover a lot of players. You know, you're talking about, I, I, my job is to assess entire farm systems, entire draft crops every year. You know, you're talking about thousands of evaluations you got to make every year. And, and you really learn um, by seeing kind of the whole forest um, throughout the course of years. And That's seeing, fair. And seeing which players develop, which players don't. I, I, think, I think when you start in this business, I think just like any any young person would at any point in their life, they probably come in thinking they know more than they actually do. Um, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, the, the system stinks or whatever. Like, oh, I can you know, whatever, beat these these teams or something like that. And, and you're probably wrong. I'm sure young, people, <laughs> young, young, young people probably could offer some perspective. I mean, there's always, you know, new, new generations provide new ideas and all that kind of stuff and new ways right. of doing things. Um, but I think what, what's really benefited me is seeing entire draft class go from infancy to almost graduation. Um, you know, I was looking earlier today at one of like the early 2010 draft classes, which are almost near, not, not near the end of its time in the NHL, but it's slowly approaching that point. You know, you know, like my first draft class I, I covered as a writer was I think Taylor Hall's draft class and mm -hmm. he's going to retire soon. Not in the next couple of years, but there's, you know, next sometime in the next three, four, five, six years, he's going to retire. Yeah, and he, uh, he is what he is. You know what he is, and he's right. he's had his but, career. Yeah, but you know, same thing with a guy like Cam Fowler and Tarasenko and and Sagan yeah. and, and all the guys who got drafted that Skinner and all the guys who got drafted that year, like and Jack Campbell. Like you know, you're going <laughs> to see those guys go from beginning to end, and you see all those guys, entire draft class, and you see what works and what doesn't work. And yes, you can pick up individual evaluations. I fucked up, like you know, it just you know, there's. Like I said, by covering each farm system and, and doing a write-up on every player in each farm system, I'm probably getting five, three, four, five players wrong per farm system per year. 
So it's it's hard to pick out one example and be like, yeah, that's the one I learned the most from. I think you just you see trends. Right. Don't want to like see. I don't think you want to like. Um, let me think of it. I don't think you want to like like I had a loss in Krauss rated really high, for example. And I don't right. think um, not as high as some did, but I had him rated rather high. And I don't think you want to like see how he didn't develop into a great player. Like, oh, then you know, guys who are big and skate well and physical, those don't translate. You just want pure skill. And let's just take Nick Patan. And then Nick Patan doesn't work because he's, you know, it's like, okay, well, right. maybe guys who are just pure skill in hockey sense that don't skate well, not that big, don't work. Because you can just keep playing that game over and over again. You won't kind of want to see how the whole thing works and identify trends and that this generally works and this generally doesn't work because at the end of the day all that player projection is is making bets you don't right. you can't predict the future all you can do is make the best bets based on the best information you have um so it's like it's a bit of a cop-out answer like if you want to throw yeah it is I, I, I can give you whatever examples all right so what what's let's let's do one example just one example of a guy where you thought you had him pegged and you and you didn't thought i had him pegged like you're like i know this guy is gonna make it like a guy that you are passionate like you know and, and one of the things that happens in these draft classes we get attached to players there are players that we'll get attached to that we have a have a they, they play the way that we want them to play we they had a lot of great views when we've seen them you know and 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 they give us confidence in our rankings was there ever a guy that you were super uh, confident about that that well, betrayed your confidence i thought Greg Arenka was gonna be a stud i guess that's me too why. That's a huge one for me. And he, yeah. he, he didn't, he didn't end up making it. He's in the NHL right now. Yeah. yeah. Kind he of. is. He is. He's, he's hanging around. Not really good in the NHL, but he is in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, Grigorenko was, was, he's definitely in the mix for me for that so as well. For me, I think what's important. And that's one of the things you kind of learn again, from seeing the whole process play out year after year after year is um, I think the word, process gets used a little too much not that it's not an important thing to have a good process but i think it's like a buzzword that people just say and they don't actually like elaborate on what their process is yeah i understand why teams can't do that because they they're very secretive right you know they have they think they have the secret sauce and they they can't reveal it um but i think for me what's been important particularly in the last few years and i think i think it's been related my writing in the last few years too is to make sure your process is systemic, that especially in a business as subjective as evaluating players, um, where things like whether a guy is a below average or an average skater, or whether they're, you know, this, they have indicators that you like or don't like is subjective enough. I think you need to make sure that you're evaluating every player in the same way. Because I, th- I see this happen all the time in the work I do and in the work that I talk to with other evaluators, like, you know, a lot of NHL scouts do, is people will find a way to squeeze in a player they really like or squeeze out a player they really like, they really don't like, um, based on just reasons that they can just think of. Um, whereas if you go, if you have like a certain 10, 12, whatever step process that you go through to determine, you know, what caliber of, of a prospect you're dealing with, it erases that kind of doubt a little bit and it erases, you know, putting too much bias into your evaluation process. And that's been really important for me. So at least I can say now, you know, you know, there isn't a player that I, I go through like, Oh, I wish 
I didn't, you know, I wish I wasn't so biased and found a way to put this guy in my top five, even though like if any other player, I wouldn't have had these, all these kind of indicators, I wouldn't have done this kind of thing. I think that's been really important for me. And if, you know, you tweak your process here and there based on more information and the way you do things and seeing what works and what doesn't, um, you know, I was, you know, sometimes I'll be watching players in the NHL and be like, hey, God, if I had, this is an important thing for me, like, like, okay, if I had gone through my evaluation process with him in a 17 or 18 year old year, I wouldn't have thought he would have made it. You know, is that something wrong with my process or is that something wrong with, um, you know, was that just part of the, the natural error of projecting players that you're just going to get something wrong? Those are a lot of things that I think about um, when it comes to things that you quote unquote get wrong and, uh, uh, and, and try to make better every year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. And, and Corey, thanks a lot for, for being on. And, and I, I'll say this to your face. You are one of the hardest working people in the business. I have a great respect for you. You are a very good friend and I have a lot of fun talking to you. And I hope that the people uh, enjoy listening to you because uh, at least now it's just, I, I'm not the only one that has to hear uh, what you have to say. So uh, uh, I always appreciate your opinions and your insight. And I thank you for bringing that to the listeners of Talking Hockey Sense. We'll have to do this again. And, and also, I should say, very glad that this did not come in a car at 2 a.m. on the way to Stockholm because uh, that was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Uh, and if you listen to the full 60 with Craig Custance, you know what I'm talking about uh, because that was, uh, uh, well, it was an experience. But, Corey, thank you so much for being on. And, and my second-ever guest. So this, this shows how I like you almost as much as I like Bob McKenzie. It was an honor and a privilege. All right. Thanks a lot. That's Corey Priman from The Athletic. Make sure you read his work at The Athletic. You do have to subscribe to it, uh, but it is well worth it for all the great hockey writers that are there. And also uh, a great pleasure to have him on here. But that's going to do it for this interview. Stick around for a few more thoughts from me. Once again, my thanks to Corey Promen for joining me this week. It was great to have him, and I hope that you did enjoy that interview. Before we get out of here, I did want to talk a little bit about next week's episode, which will be college hockey-centric. And that is because on Sunday, March 21st, we will have the men's selection show uh, for the men's tournament bracket for the NCAA. And that will be on, again, Sunday, March 21st on ESPNU. And, you know, the women's tournament is ongoing right now. And that brought some controversy because normally we have a pretty steady way of determining the brackets on both the men's and women's side through the pairwise. That isn't going to be available this year and wasn't for the women's side because of the fact that there really wasn't a non-conference schedule. So the selection committees can make more subjective decisions. They do have some criteria that they'll follow, but at the same time, we just saw in the women's side, the University of Minnesota was left out of the tournament despite having, you know, a great strength of schedule. They were not in, and that was, you know, pretty controversial to see them lose out and have one of the teams that, you know, maybe isn't as talented to the eye being in the tournament. So, that could happen on the men's side as well. And there's a lot of interesting factors at play and, and we'll see how it all plays out. And, and as we're recording, the conference tournaments are ongoing. So some at large bids will be decided already, but you look at a team like Boston university that lost in the quarterfinals of the hockey East. They've only played 15 games this year. Now they've won 10 of those games, but how much can we judge that against some of the teams that have played, say 
20 plus, 24, you know, that's the the question that that committee is going to have to answer. So next week we'll we'll have some reaction to the selection show. We'll be able to preview the tournament. I'm going to have a college hockey specific guest for you next week. Really excited about that. And it's going to be something that we'll obviously cover on ta- on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack as well. So, uh, again, my regular pitch, please subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. You can reach it at hockeysense.substack.com or chrispetershockey.com. You can also uh, you know hit me up with emails and ask questions and anything you need. Hit me up at HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com. That I will be checking that regularly. So if you have questions for this podcast, if you have questions about the website, if you'd like more information about either, please feel free to use that email address. Well, that's going to do it for today. Once again, thank you to Corey Promen, and thank you for joining me on this podcast. I am doing my best to muddle through some illness and and thank you for bearing with my voice but hopefully i'll be a hundred percent next week and ready to give you uh an even better podcast experience with a with a more um you know a, a better voice perhaps and that that might improve things so even if you hated my voice this week, please think about giving us a five-star review and uh, leaving a comment and certainly leaving a, a review on there and a rating. It does help the podcast a great deal. We had great feedback from the episode featuring Bob McKenzie last week. Please check that one out if you haven't yet. And stay tuned for much, much more on the Talking Hockey Sense podcast, Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. So much to get to, so much fun to be had, so much hockey to be analyzed, and we will have it for you here. That's going to do it for me. My name is Chris Peters. Thanks for checking us out again, and we'll see you next week.